This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm glad you're here. A lot to get to tonight. Also worth mentioning, tonight is the start of high school football in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Now, I live in Mississippi Valley Conference country, the MVC. Uh, we have some, obviously, listeners in Madison on The Zone, our affiliate in that part of the state. And I think there are some conferences. I'm not as familiar with those conferences. Is it the Great Eight? That's Ryan Brown's nickname. The Elite Eight? The Big Eight? Something like that. Um, so we have listeners in that part of the, the, the state as well. Now, I hail from Big Rivers country, the BRC, up in the 715. And I guess a touch of middle border as well. So if you're looking forward to any particular team or matchup or game tonight, uh, it's always an exciting time of year as well. I got a tweet from Thomas right before the show started. First day high school football, go Rangers. Oh, we got a Logan guy. Logan heads to Eau Claire Memorial to play the Old Abes at 7 p.m. at Carson Park. Beautiful venue. As Brian Anderson said earlier this week, I believe, when the Elbow Room was mentioned as the Tavern League Tavern of the Game. Yeah, great baseball town. Carson Park, great baseball venue, but also an excellent football venue. So uh, good luck to both the Logan Rangers and the Eau Claire Memorial Old Abe. Speaking of a classic Big Rivers, Mississippi Valley non-conference clash, that's good stuff. So high school football starting tonight as well. That's exciting. I don't know that we're going to talk about it much. Uh, and plus, if I talk about it, then I'm probably going to get some conferences wrong like I did <laughs> earlier this week. So we'll avoid it. Let's start with the Brewers and their big win today. If you want a text or call, you absolutely can. I'd love to have you. 608-796-2558. And I'm on Twitter Wisco Grant. Brewers jumped out to a one nothing lead, Andrew McCutcheon in the first. And then he hit a two-run bomb, I think, in the third. I suppose I have the box score in front of me, but that's not really the point. The point is they jumped out to a 3 nothing lead and then a 5 nothing lead. And for the first time in what felt like weeks, the Brewers had a comfortable, sizable lead and were playing a competitive baseball game that they were winning that they weren't clinging on to by a thread. Right? In the last let's say, week, a little bit more than a week because they had a bye, I believe, last Thursday. So in the last week of games, since last Wednesday, the Brewers had only won three times coming into today. They won 4-3 in 10 innings, 3-2 in 10 innings, and 5-4 in 11 innings. So in the last week or since last Wednesday, the Brewers are 3-4, and four, and all three of their wins are one-run victories in extra innings. They lost four in a row leading into that stretch. So they've been losing more games than they've been winning. And even when they win, it just takes every ounce of energy possible. It takes every great pitcher. It takes every tough at bat. It takes every correct decision from Craig Council. It takes every bit of good luck. It takes everything, right? The wins aren't coming easy enough. And today, for the first time in a while against the Dodgers, a game that just wrapped up a little bit ago, a game that they just won, finally a game that felt just a little bit easier. Felt like there was some breathing room. It felt like Craig Council wasn't, wasn't getting an ulcer in the dugout. Sometimes you look over there and you're like, man, he's uh, he's stressed. That When the hat comes off and you see the hat head and he's rubbing his hair all the time, it's like, oh boy, there it is. Yep, Craig's stressed. Not as stressful today. And shout out Andrew McCutcheon, who can actually hit lefties. He's one of the grown men on this team who can hit from both sides of the mound, not just against righties, but lefties. Not to make this a generational thing, Maybe David Minona will have a chance to do that at some point in tonight's show. I feel like it never used to be this way. I feel like baseball offense never used to be as segmented as it is now. At least I don't remember it that way. And maybe we don't have enough competitive Brewers teams for reference. I was born in 98. I really only started being very aware of what the Brewers were doing 
in 2008 or so. I remember that playoff. I remember CC. I remember that playoff run. Baseball, I think you need to be a little bit older than football. I remember very old Packer games, years before I was ever really conscious of what the Brewers were doing. Baseball is a little bit more complicated to understand. It's more of an old man sport. you got to age into baseball just a little bit more. And maybe we haven't had enough competitive Brewer games in my lifetime to really have a point of reference. But this Brewers team is so segmented. No one can hit lefties. Like, no one's capable. No one's competent. I feel like it never used to be this way. Like, sure, a lefty you'd prefer to have at the plate versus a righty and vice versa, and you would aim for those matchups as much as possible, but it's like certain guys are unplayable when you're facing a righty or a lefty on this team. It's so prohibitive. And Andrew McCutcheon breaking that mold a little bit today with two home runs, both early on, and then Hunter Renfro providing a boost as well. Bruce finally got a win that was a little bit more comfortable. Finally, a win in the last week that wasn't in extra innings. They're going to have to do more. They're going to have to do a lot more of this. Let me be clear. The Brewers, what they did today, this is great. They're going to have to do a lot more of this. And I see some Brewers fans on Twitter and some people I talked to at work even this afternoon. It's like, well, the Dodgers are really good. You know, if we split versus the Dodgers, that's pretty good. Yeah, but you're three games behind the Cardinals. And you haven't really played inspiring baseball at any point this season other than in April and other than the week leading into the trade deadline. Other than that, this team has been... Toast without butter. They've been warm milk. You know what I mean? They've been plain yogurt. Like, yeah, sure, they'll work. Yeah, I'll eat plain yogurt. I normally need fruit with it or something, but if I have to eat it by itself, I guess it's fine. I don't like to eat dry toast, but I guess if I'm camping or I'm out of butter, like whatever, I need to make breakfast, it's fine. This Brewers team is just bleh. It's fine. And splitting a series against the Dodgers, yeah, isn't the worst case scenario, but we need more. We need more. At some point, they're going to need to show me something. They're going to have to inspire us. They're going to have to give us something that's not, oh, we split against the best team in baseball. You know what I mean? I think all of these close games have been wearing on Craig Council and wearing on the team. I think the stress of losing Josh Hader and reshuffling the back end of the bullpen has been stressing the team and stressing Craig Council. I think the team is tired. Craig Council is tired. And really, maybe the only reason I still have hope that this team can make the playoffs is that they have a lot of home games and a lot of off days. And I think this team is tired and worn down. And off days will help. And games at home will help, even if they have some more games against the Dodgers and they're going to have to win some games against the Cardinals. Okay, whatever. At least we have off days mixed in. And at least we have games at home because I think those factors, those variables will really help what's currently ailing this Brewers team. I also think all of these close games have been wearing Craig Council, and we're seeing a weakness on this team. It's a weakness of depth. Yes, the Brewers have Matt Bush and Taylor Rogers, who is great today, and Devin Williams is great today. I mean, if you want the best version, the best-case scenario of this Brewers bullpen, look no further than today's game. Taylor Rogers came in and made light work of the Dodgers. Devin Williams came in and did the same. That's awesome. That's great. And, yes, we have elite all-star reliever Trevor Rosenthal coming back, too. So, oh, God, yeah, remember him. (laughs) Genuinely, though, if you want a good example of what the back end of the Brewers bullpen is supposed to look like, watch today's game. That's great. They can be great on their best day. Yes, the back end of the bullpen can be, even without Josh Hader. The problem with this Brewers bullpen is they don't really have a great option for when they're down by one run or down by two runs, right? If you're down by a run in the later innings, that's still a very winnable game. It doesn't feel like it, but it's very, very winnable. If you're down one run in the seventh inning, that's one swing of the bat. You know, who knows? Once a month, Christian Yelich might be able to do 
do something with that. Once every two months. You know what I mean? Probably not Christian Yelich. He hasn't really hit for power, but Hunter Renfro on a hot streak. If you're down two in the seventh inning, you get a single and a walk, and then Renfro comes up, hits a bomb. There you go. Brand new ball game. Being down by one or two runs. It's a very winnable situation, but the Brewers really don't have a great option to go to in those innings. They don't have a reliever to keep it close, right? Let's call that a, a hang-on spot. That's a spot where you just got to hang on. You need a reliever to just keep the score where it is and just hope that the offense can come through for you. They don't really have a good hang-on guy. Let me put it this way. Let me paint a picture. How many times in the last two weeks have you experienced this scenario? Right? I'm going to lay out a scenario. Tell me how many times you've experienced this because I feel like this is every other night. It's the seventh inning. The Brewers are trailing 2-1 to one or 3-2. to two. And they haven't had a base runner since the third inning. And there's no life in the game. And yes, the game is close, but it doesn't really feel like the Brewers are going to do anything exciting or take the lead. And you're on the couch and you're getting frustrated. You're getting tired. And the Brewers are down by a run. And here comes Peter Strzelecki or Brent Suter or Jason Alexander. And you're like, son of a bitch. You know, like, you know what I mean? Very winnable game. It's right there. You just need a couple big swings of the bat, and you're right there. You can win that game. But the game doesn't have a good energy. There's not a lot of action. And then who comes running out of the bullpen? Oh, great. It's Peter Strzelecki. Not the best feeling in the world. Doesn't give you the best vibe. Doesn't give you the best energy. And sometimes his team, they're dying for energy. They're dying for just a shot in the arm because they'll go these long stretches, four or five innings at a time without getting a hit. Bringing in Peter Strzelecki doesn't inspire confidence in anyone. I like Brent Suter. I think he's vital to this team. But he's not inspiring confidence in anyone. And if I, my fat ass, is sitting on the couch at home, and I feel down in the dumps, and I feel like I'm about to fall asleep, and Peter Strzelecki comes running out, and I say, oh, my God, I just want to go to bed. Well, how do you think the team feels? You know what I mean? The Brewers don't have a great option in those trailing scenarios when they're losing two to one or three to two and they're going to need to win a lot more games like they won today ideally more i want to see them win games six to three seven to two five to one because those are the games that are going to allow you to rest your studs because guess what if you're down by a run you're going to have to eventually pitch brad boxberger or you're going to have to pitch matt bush not dave bush matt bush you're you're occasionally gonna have to use those guys in scenarios where you're trailing and you need to make up for it by getting those guys a day of rest by winning a game 5-1 to one instead of 2-3. to three. You know what I mean? Much of these Brewer games, it's like pulling teeth even when they win. So my big takeaway from today and what we saw last night, what we saw today, Brewers need to run away with some games. They need to have some more breathing room because you can't keep playing like this all the time. And yes, splitting against the Dodgers, I know the Dodgers are great, but splitting against the Dodgers you're treading water. It's more of the same. You're just making a minimum payment on the credit card. You're not getting ahead. You're not inspiring me. You're not making progress. It's just more of the same. So the Brewers, to recap, win games by more than one run, run away with some games, get your bullpen some rest, and those awkward scenarios where you're down two to one, well, then you're a little bit more willing to use one of your better arms. And that probably, hopefully, leads to some more wins that you wouldn't have had if you pitched Strzelecki or Suter or Jason Alexander. Real quick before we take a break, let's get to Binks, French Island, 608-796-2558. What's up, Binks? Where's Yellow? the offense? What do you mean, where's the offense? They scored where's five where's runs the today. Offense? <laughs> they scored five runs. I had to take a breath without I had to take a breath without swearing. Where's the offense? Oh my gosh, uh Yelich hit a one run uh 
451-foot home run and stat cast this and that and the other thing, and it made up for the $27 million. Not quite. But yet, you know what? It, it's There's nothing there to say that we're going to make the playoffs. It's, it, it, it's a spring swing summer slide. Yeah. And I'm not going to point picture you know, at any of this heater trade. You know, I, why could you? I didn't see the game today, so I'm relying on you. Yeah. Um, why didn't uh, Why didn't uh, Burns go any? Uh, how, how far did he go? So Burns today. Here's what happened. They were up five to nothing. They were up five to nothing, and Burns comes out for the sixth, and then he gives up three runs. Right, so he only went five and two thirds, but he only started to struggle once he got up by five runs. Pinks, I tweeted today. Burns is great until he gets some breathing room, and then he starts to like he's got to get better at pitching with a lead. Let him pitch. You know what? If he's given up three runs, it doesn't mean he's done. It, it's it's been happening yeah. since, since time immemorial. Let him go. Let him go six innings, and that's what that's what Council's been doing. All for the entire his entire managerial career. Let these guys go. Let, let them finish the inning. Let them build some confidence. I know you hate hearing me say this, man, but that's what they did. In at least in my, you know, when I was growing up in the late seventies, eighties, Mike Caldwell, those uh, Moose Haas, those guys. Yeah. That's what they did. And George Bamberger and Harvey Keen, those guys said, uh, you know what? Let them pitch because that's what builds them some confidence. So. That's my rant. Let him pitch. I enjoyed that. The hitting hitting, hitting showed up today, Binks. I'm going to let you go. Have an awesome night. That's Binks on French Island. Hope to talk to you soon. So the offense today was all home runs. He scored five runs, but it was a solo shot, a two-run home run for McCutcheon, and then a three-run home run, I believe. Oh, my God. Good math, Grant. A solo shot, a two-run home run, and a two-run home run from Hunter Renfro. (laughs) Whoops. I don't do radio because I'm good at that addition and subtraction. Uh, it's not my strong suit. So it's all home runs today. Last night, there was no offense. Uh, Keston Hira, for God's sake, had half of their hits last night. Glad to see him back in the lineup today, by the way. Free Keston Hira. Maybe let's talk about that coming up next. I want this guy to get more at-bats. Because if this team is going to lose games 2-1 to one and nobody can hit the ball, well, you might as well run Keston Hira out there because everyone else is striking out all the time. You might as well try to get Keston Hira going if you're going to lose games anyways. So I want to talk about Keston Hira and how he needs to be freed. Talk Brewers for a couple of more minutes coming up next before we get into football in the second half of the show. It's the Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show a couple more minutes on the brewers here i want to talk about the deshaun watson news at five o'clock that's the biggest news of the day he gets 11 games and five million dollars fined whatever he got wasn't gonna be enough okay we can react to the suspension and say it wasn't enough well what would have been enough you know what i mean i feel like his crimes and as many crimes as he had and as many lawsuits and accusations I feel like you make the argument you never should have played football again, right? If, if Deshaun Watson was kicked out of the NFL for life, would anyone have been like, oh, it's a little unfair? You know what I mean? I think we all would have been fine with that. The punishment wasn't going to be enough. We can we can ho-hum about 11 games versus 13 versus 50. It, it was never going to be enough. 
it's certainly the biggest news of the day. I want to talk about at least that for a couple of minutes at 5 o'clock. We're going to get into the Packers. Mike Clemens will be here at 5.30 as well. I have some Randall Cobb audio that's awesome. He's talking about some conversations that they've had with the rookie wide receivers and what's expected of them, and it's great. So we're going to talk about that second half of the show. A few more minutes on the Brewers. The Brewers winning 5-3 to three today, which was like a walk in the park versus the last couple of wins that they've had. It's nuts. Since last Wednesday, the Brewers have only won three times. They're three and four, and all three of their wins have been in extra innings. They won four to three in 10, three to two in 10, and five to four in 11, which sounds nuts until you think, okay, yeah, I was watching all those games. Yep. Their only wins have been in extra innings, and they've been barely by the skin of their teeth. You know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure a couple of them have had a a Hunter Renfro bunt in extra innings. And then the Victor Caratini walk-off the other night. And walk-offs are fun, and close games are exciting, but for the health of a baseball team, you know what I mean? For the comfortability of a baseball team, uh, you need some easy ones. You need some easy games. You need some wins where it doesn't feel like you're pulling teeth. I think the team is tired. I think Craig Council is tired and stressed. The offense is tired and stressed. The pitching staff, especially the bullpen, is probably tired and stressed. We need some easy games. We need some gimmies, right? That'll go a long way in, I think, improving the state of this team and hopefully help them play the best version of baseball they can. They also have a lot of home games in August and September and a lot of off days. So things could potentially line up for this team to play the best version of baseball they can. I don't know what that best version looks like. I, I'm The more I watch this team, it seems like they have a ceiling that's just below the level of a lot of the NL competitors. Even the Cardinals, for example. Like the Cardinals are playing great. They got a grand slam from Albert Pujols today. Adam Wainwright went seven strong. I, I said at the trade deadline, if you're a betting man or a betting woman, go lay money on the Cardinals. They were plus 180, plus 200 at the time. They shift, 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 shift. They keep shifting. Cardinals have all the momentum. They're playing their best ball. The Brewers are going the other way. This is very easy to see. Doesn't mean the Brewers can't be a wild card. Doesn't mean they can't get smoking hot at the right time in September. Craig Timber, as we call it. Right. Doesn't mean they can't. Uh, it certainly doesn't feel like it. Needs more Keston Hira playing time. That's what, that's what I've been thinking about. He had half of their hits last night. He had half of their offense last night. That didn't lead to runs, but you got to take what you can get. Right? This team just, this team needs to score more runs. And Keston here is one of their better hitters. And if they're going to get shut out and strike out, you might as well get shut out and have a lot of strikeouts with Keston here out there. Ed is in Madison, 608-796-2558. What's up, Ed? Hey, Grant. What's going on? I guess if we're going to, if we're eking out games now, I'd rather be eking and winning and eking and losing. Um, you know, the Cardinals sure seem like they got everything going their way right now. A 13 to zip win today mm-hmm. over to the great Colorado Rockies. Um, I don't know. Um, I have a really close contact that is a he's he's close with the beat writer for the Brewers, and he still says there's a lot of anxiety on that team regarding that hater trade. The big question mark has been why would they make a move even though they were had their whole hopes going for a bat, and they had to pull the trigger. That is what I was told. They had to because they would look like a bunch of fools that they would have made that move because they basically, the caveat was a bat. They wanted a bat with that deal, and it all fell apart. Why God's green earth, why they decided to put Hader on the block for a a bat before they really had it sealed and signed and delivered is beyond everybody's 
Ed, Ed, this, mind is, right this now. is what's frustrating too. And again, to lay this out really, this is why I was against a hater trade midseason. No team that was contending wants to give up major league pieces to get hater. The only type of team that wants hater is a team that's contending because a bad team doesn't need hater. Plus, he's about to get expensive. Why would a team like the Padres want to give you one of their best bats for a hater? The Padres are trying to win a World Series. The trade was never going to make sense. The Brewers were never going to get back what they really needed. And that's exactly right, Grant, because that's exactly what the mindset was on that team and still is. They're still struggling. That that lineup looks uh, looks abysmal at times when they cannot even produce simple base hits with guys on first and second bases loaded or whatever, you know, the two nights ago, they had more opportunities and they just pissed. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that word, but they just peed it away. (laughs) And, 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 you know, you're saying there's a fan watching it and it's just like, we really needed that bat. We really should have put the bat first and the pitching second. Uh, And um, I would have been more happy. And they wanted, they wanted minor league talent from the Brewers and they gave up a good, player to get the guy to having pitched a game in two years well that 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 one just sealed the deal for me right there that's the thing ed and i gotta let you go because i gotta take a break here in 40 seconds i I appreciate the call have a good one uh thanks bro yeah have a good one that's ed and madison well we have trevor rosenthal coming back everybody so it might seem bleak now might seem tough but we we got a ringer coming to join the team in a couple of weeks i mean he hasn't pitched in two years and bruce gave up a top 20 prospect for him which i still think gives david gasper I think David Gasper's going to have a heart attack over that deal. We have Rosenthal, everybody. Help is on the way. Don't worry. Jesus. Let's talk NFL. Deshaun Watson, Packers, coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. I know that highlight isn't from today's game, but it's just an awesome call. Caratini's walk-off from the other night. Extra innings, one of those three extra innings wins that we're talking about. Safe! Safe! Jeff Levering kind of brought it. It's an awesome call. A couple of texts here to get to regarding the Brewers, and I want to get into football here. The Deshaun Watson news, his suspension and fine was announced today, and I want to talk a little bit about the Packers as well before we get to Mike Clemens at 530. Rain Man Mike texts in, says, if you calculate the amount of money the Brewers paid out on DFA players this year, they could have paid Hater next year too. I hope the, <laughs> I hope the pen figures it out and the bats wake the hell up. Yeah, the Hater, it's just they're, they're an unserious organization. That was, as our friend Bart Winkler said a couple weeks ago, a garbage move by a garbage organization. That was It was a train wreck. It was a disaster. They gave up one of their most valuable assets, and they didn't get nearly enough in return. Uh, Tim and Menominee says, Hi, Grant. When you're playing every day for a month, the last thing you need is extra innings. Exactly. They need fewer tight games. Some of these games they need to run away with. When they take a 2-0 lead, they need to take a 6-0 lead. They need to win a 3-1 game, 5-1, 6-1, 7-1. They need to have more comfortable games because they're just getting drained. They're getting tired. They're getting burned out. Mike in Chippewa Falls, leading us into our Deshaun Watson conversation, says if Watson had been a third-string lineman, he would have never played again. Absolutely. You're correct. 
Let's talk about that biggest story, that biggest news drop of the day, Deshaun Watson and uh, his suspension. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for hanging out. We get to talk about a Brewers win. We did that for the last 25 minutes or so. Talked to Ed and Madison and Binks, a couple of folks chiming in. We're going to talk more football for the second hour of the show, the rest of the way. Mike Clemens, like I said, is going to join us at 5.30. Give us an update on what's going on in Green Bay. Always look forward to that. Talk a little Packers training camp. It's getting real. It's getting serious, which I, I like. Early training camp, OTAs, all that stuff. Eh. It's not really, not really my thing. But as we get more and more real and we can actually talk about real things and how it'll impact real games in the regular season when that eventually starts, that's what really gets me going. And we'll talk about some of those storylines with Mike Clemens at 530. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. I have some Randall Cobb audio. Randall Cobb met with reporters for about four or five minutes yesterday and explained what the conversations have been like between the veteran wide receivers and the rookie wide receivers. It's really interesting. So I'll share that with you. We can kind of break down some of the words that Randall Cobb had yesterday. That's coming up in a few. Let's talk about the Deshaun Watson story. And if you want to share your thoughts, please go ahead. 608-796-2558. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Deshaun Watson suspension, 11 games. And he was fined 11 million or $5 million. Excuse me. That was never going to be enough. The suspension was never going to be enough. Right? Unless it was an indefinite suspension and they would you know, reassess next year, this was never going to be enough. The only way that people were going to be happy with the Deshaun Watson suspension is if the, the NFL came out and said, he's not going to play this year and he's not going to make a dollar of money this year. Maybe we'll reinstate him next year, which probably what would have happened, right? Suspend him for one year, but say indefinite, we'll reassess. And then when you reassess next year and bring him back, it seems like it seems more serious. Right? It seems like there was an actual punishment handed down. Anything within the season, five games, six games, eight, 10, 11, it was never going to be enough. It was never going to be enough. You could do 12 or 15 games, which would have been more than he got. Still wouldn't have been enough. Right, So everyone's upset on Twitter today, which is basically what happens every time a suspension is handed down for any sort of domestic abuse or sexual assault. Andrew Brandt tweeted this today, and this kind of puts it into perspective. He says, here's the entire loss of income for Watson due to his behavior on a $230 million fully guaranteed contract. $650,000. That's it. He will make $229.35 million from the Browns fully guaranteed. The Browns have a lot of egg on their face in this. They gave this man a pile of money and they set up the contract to basically insulate Deshaun Watson from any sort of suspension. I actually think this looks just as poor on the Haslam's and Andrew Barry, their GM, as it does the NFL. I mean, look, the NFL game 11 games, that's a lot. I'm not excusing or recusing the NFL from responsibility and any level of punishment for this, but that's more than they've given to anyone by a lot, at least certainly for, certainly, certainly for a quarterback, right? The NFL probably, probably could have gotten more. They maybe could have gunned for a full season or 14 games. But at that point, it's semantics. What's the difference between 11 games and 14 games? You know what I mean? The NFL probably could have gotten more if this went to trial, especially with all the preliminary work done by Sue Robinson, which was the uh, independent judge, independent overseer, you know, whatever title you want to give her, litigator of some kind. She was She was the person who handed down the original ruling, which the NFL then appealed, which got us to where we are now. The work that Sue Robinson did basically said, uh, yeah, he sexually assaulted all of these women. This did, in fact, happen. She also she also came out and said, well, it wasn't violent, though. Like, okay, this is 
this is gross. You know what I mean? But Sue Robinson did all this legwork and said, this is known. This is fact. This is true. So we have all this evidence. The NFL could have taken this to trial and they probably could have got their way. Probably. However, if this goes to trial and it's dragged out the season, Watson gets paid to not play this season, which is what happened last year too, while things are litigated, while things are figured out. And then there's no guarantee the punishment is better than 11 games next year. If Deshaun Watson is paid to play this year while he sits out due to this litigation, and then he comes back and serves an 11-game suspension next year, well, what's the difference? I mean, Deshaun Watson's still making all the money. This is a risk-averse move by the NFL. They said, you know what? Let's take the 11 games. Let's find him $5 million bucks, And we don't risk turning this into a circus. We don't risk this falling apart and Deshaun Watson getting off scot-free next year. It's actually very similar to what happened in the series finale. Better call Saul. You saw that, right? It's what happens in the courtroom a lot of times. It's like, let's just take the deal. We could maybe do better at trial, but no one wants to risk going to trial for a million different reasons. So they end up with 11-game suspension and $5 million fine. We will never be satisfied with discipline in the NFL. Ever. Deshaun, let's be honest. Deshaun Watson should never get to play professional football again. I saw the Haslam's put out a statement today. Well, we believe in second chances. You know, uh, we believe this and that. This is this is the quote. Is he never supposed to play again? Is he never supposed to be part of society? They believe in second chances. And I really liked Tyler Dunn's tweet. He used to cover the Packers. He used to be a Bleacher Report. Now he does go long. He's been on the show, friend of show. I know he's on the Bill Michaels show from time to time, too. He quote tweeted that and said today, one could say being, quote, part of society and an NFL quarterback are two different things. No one is saying that Deshaun Watson should be flogged and shunned and exiled. Go live in South America for the rest of your life. But, you know, playing quarterback in the NFL, that's, that's, that's a privilege. You know, you have almost 30 sexual assault allegations. That's, I don't know. I believe in second chances, too. Second chances is you don't have to go to prison, but maybe you don't get to play quarterback in the NFL and make hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Nearly 30 women accused him and an independent arbiter, Sue Robinson, confirmed all that evidence. You know, second chance is a little different. We're never going to be satisfied with NFL discipline. Talented NFL players, as uh, we got a text right before, it was Mike and Chippewa Falls saying, if Watson had been a, uh, a backup lineman, he would have been out of the league. We never would have dealt with this. Y- yeah, I agree. Talented players like Watson are going to get every chance possible. That's the way it works. Right? And I'm not trying to be irreverent to the situation and to those affected when I say this. I'm just trying to paint a full picture. There's so much money, not just on the line for the NFL and for their product and for their league. Everyone's saying, well, the NFL is protecting the shield. Well, the NFL also has billions and trillions of dollars coming in from TV companies and TV contracts. And these TV contracts said, we paid X amount of dollars to carry Browns games. Imagine CBS affiliates in Ohio, right? When we talk about television deals it's just not the people at the top like Les Moonves who I don't think is at CBS anymore it's not just the the fat cats raking in all this money it's all of the regional affiliates who yeah do news and weather and they have the highlight zone for high school football and basketball but you know these local ABC uh, NBC Fox affiliates CBS affiliates they rely on stuff like this they rely on Sunday night football and the Packers in the afternoon on local Fox stations, 2548 and Eau Claire and La Crosse. And I don't know what the Fox affiliate is in, in Madison, but you get the point, right? These are local television stations that are relying on these games. It's like, well, 
We don't really want to have a game that features Jacoby Brissett. Sorry. Look, we paid 110% of sticker price for these games already. And now you're telling me we're not going to get this quarterback. Like, the NFL's walking a tightrope here. I, I, like, I'm not trying to be irreverent here. I'm just trying to show all of the, the moving pieces with the Deshaun Watson deal. There's a reason why he was going to play in the NFL again, right? Do you ever wonder why that annoying alcoholic at your favorite bar is allowed to come back in every night and just be annoying and kind of a, just be a pain in the ass to everyone? Do you know why the bar allows him to do that? Because he spends 80 bucks a day. You don't throw that guy out of the bar. You don't ban that guy from the bar. As annoying as he is, and I know no one likes him, and yes, he spilled a drink on the slot machine last week, and it sucked, and he smells bad, but you know what? He spends money. He spends a lot of money every day at the bar, so they're not going to ban him, even if they don't like him. Similar situation in the NFL. Roger Goodell isn't just protecting the league for his selfish reasons because he stands for the shield above all else. He's a businessman. He's got all these TV corporations up his butt saying we paid an exorbitant amount for Deshaun Watson's Browns, let alone we're we're paying an exorbitant amount to watch Jimmy G or Jacoby Brissett. The hell we did. There's a lot of layers to this. and We're never going to be happy with NFL punishment because honestly, a guy like Deshaun Watson should never play again. That's just not the reality of the way the league works. A couple of texts here. Mike in Eau Claire. Says this is Watson's last year of his rookie deal. The big money starts next year. Yeah, but his signing bonus, all the guaranteed money this year. The big money starts next year. He was going to win even with a whole year suspension. Yeah, sad. Exactly. Right? The Browns set up this contract so the money doesn't kick until next year. It, it sucks. That's what I'm saying. I think the Browns look worse in all of this than the NFL. Because they brought in this guy knowing that he was a dirtball. Knowing that this was all coming. And they gave him the best contract in league history. The most quarterback Friendly contract, the most guaranteed money in history, all of it, because they knew that it was going to shake out this way. It's really frustrating. It's really disappointing. The NFL might not be able to do any better because they have business responsibilities, sponsor responsibilities, all of these things. The Browns didn't have to do this. It wasn't the NFL that got Ray Rice kicked out of the league. It was all of the teams saying, we're just not going to sign him. So if the Browns and all the other teams in the league said, "Eh, we're not going to trade for Watson, screw this guy. That's a little bit more realistic than the than the NFL coming down and saying you can never play again. It's ridiculous. Hector is in on Alaska. 608-796-2558. What's up, Hector? Did you just have to rub it in because you saw I was on hold the whole Ray Rice I, thing or what? No, and I didn't think about that. Actually, like, didn't the Ravens cut him? Like, the Ravens were part of the reason why Ray Rice ultimately didn't have a job. I don't I don't think that's egg on the face of the Ravens. Yeah, exactly. That's not an anti-Ravens thing. Yeah. The... Um, the funniest thing is that it's if he if Ray Rice would have been just a little bit better, like if he would have cracked maybe like fifteen, sixteen hundred yards in the year before, then they probably would have kept him. Um, you know, because we of course kept a murderer uh, for his entire career. He's one of the best linebackers to ever play the game. You know that yeah the the ridiculousness of how money hungry. The league has exposed themselves to be in this whole Deshaun Watson situation is just ridiculous. Uh, Calvin Ridley bet on his own his own team to win. He did not throw the games, and then he got suspended for a whole year for gambling. Yeah, you have you have people like Kareem Hunt beat a woman unconscious 
that have it on camera, and he's playing in the league still today. So you can do anything you want to, as far as physical. You can beat up a woman. You can sexually assault. You can be a predator. They will confirm it, but guess what? You bring in too much money, so we're not going to do anything, but if you gamble, you're gone. If you smoke a little bit of weed like Josh Gordon, you'll never see the field again. It's just absolutely bass-ackwards in a way that it's just disgusting, especially with me being a father to three daughters and, you know, like the two closest people to me are my sister and my wife's lesbian best friend who also has a daughter and my, you know, my sister has a daughter too. So like, I'm just surrounded by women. So, you know, and I'm a big football guy and my seven year old, um, I was watching a video on Deshaun Watson Mm -hmm. this morning when they were talking about it before I went to work and she's asking me questions about it. And I'm just like, you know, how do you even explain this in to a population that is mostly women? Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's just crazy, but to end on a, on a good note, another win by the Brewers. You know, you were such a heavy downer yesterday. They must have been listening to the show, and they're like, wow, we got to show this Grant guy. Yeah, of course. That's, out that's in the, it was. Out in Lacrosse, Wisconsin, that he's wrong, you know, so. Lacrosse Day was from the Brewers. the Brewers a couple of a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the Brewers got a win today. We need a lot more of that. That was my take, and I don't mean to minimize what happened today. That was nice, that. but we need a whole lot more of that. How Hector. do you feel about this uh, Travis Fulgham? Resigning. Oh, I love it. I, that actually made me happy yeah. yesterday. And Packers fans, we love to obsess about the last guy in the depth chart, but this is a guy who's familiar with the Packers. He's been here. Big physical guy who can block. He might actually work. Now, I don't know whose spot he's Agreed. taking, but I, I like him in the mix for sure. Absolutely. I do too, especially with uh, uh, what we've heard from, you know, Rogers just berating his wide receiver room. Um, seeing that they went and did something about it is is very good. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, why not? He's available. Appreciate the call, Hector. I got to take a break. Exactly. It was nice to chat. Yeah, have a good one, Hector in on Alaska. Our friend, we're carrying an old lacrosse WKTY. We're carrying on Alaska football tomorrow night. West Salem and on Alaska. Good tilt should be a good tilt. Hilltoppers, Hector's Hilltoppers. Let's take a break. Come back. I want to talk a little bit about the Packers. What's going on in that wide receiver room? Randall Cobb spoke about it yesterday and. That gave us some really interesting insight into those conversations. So we'll go over that. Mike Clemens will be here at 530. A lot of Packers talk coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Mike Clements going to be here in 10 minutes. Our good, good friend, Mike Clements, who's been in Green Bay, sniffing around the locker room. Not literally sniffing around, but, you know, moseying around, looking for stories, looking for scoops, looking for information. He's going to share some of those details with us coming up. He sent me some audio from Randall Cobb yesterday that's awesome, and I'm excited to play some of that for you. Coming up here in a few minutes, 608-796-2558. If you want to give me a call or a text, you can. You can also find me on Twitter if you'd like, at Wisco Grant. Mike is on Twitter if you want to follow him before he uh, joins us on Twitter, at Mike Clemens NFL. Let's go to the phones really quickly before we start, 608-796-2558. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? 
Hello, it's Mike. Mike? Yep, Mike and Madison. Oh, Mike and Madison. What's going on, Mike and Madison? Well, I just wanted to call real quick. Uh, I, I don't like defending people that have done stupid things like Kareem Hunt, but I grew up in Kansas City, so I'm a Chiefs fan. Oh, okay. And and he uh, he didn't beat anybody unconscious. He did kick a girl in the hallway Yes, that they had on video. Ray, so that was kind of stupid. Ray Rice, very a little bit different than Kareem. He didn't. Well, see, now we're talking about levels of assault. But yes, yeah. I, I know what you. Like I know I said, what you're I, saying. I'm not. Yeah, like I said, I'm not going to defend the guy. I think he was an idiot. But there's a big difference between kicking a girl once that's on the ground and beating her unconscious. Yeah, and it was. So that, it, that's, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. That's the, that was the main reason I was calling. No, I, I get you. And Kareem Hunt, you know, and I appreciate the call, Mike. It was nice to hear from you. Call back sometime, especially with some Chiefs takes. I like that. We need that angle on the show. Kareem Hunt, that video was so stupid because he just looked like a child. Like he was throwing a temper tantrum and he just he just kicked. I don't even think she was on the ground, was she? It was like you'd kick your sibling when you're playing in the yard. It was the stupidest looking thing. I agree with you. This Deshaun Watson thing is on a level that we haven't seen, right? It's 30 cases. If you missed the last couple of minutes, we were chatting about the Deshaun Watson suspension. It's 11 games. Five million bucks, which is not enough. Of course, it was never going to be enough unless it was at least a year. And that just seemed like a little bit of a pipe dream. I don't think the NFL was going to allow that to happen. Before we get to Mike Clements, I want to address the Packers young wide receiver story. If it is one, I think it's been a little bit overblown. Everybody makes it out as Aaron Rodgers went on some tirade about how bummy the young wide receivers are when essentially he was just like, "Ah, a lot of mental mistakes need to clean some things up. We need to stop making repeat mistakes and, and get a little bit more consistent, which is really reasonable. Uh, and then obviously blew up and, you know, we've been talking about it all week. My favorite detail of this story, and I didn't learn this until this morning when I read Matt Schneidman's piece at The Athletic, they all got together and had a meeting yesterday and it included Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard who spoke to the young guys and shared and talked about some things. And I have some Randall Cobb cuts I love what he had to say, and I think this just speaks to Randall Cobb's value on this team in 2022. Even if he doesn't play a whole lot, even if he doesn't catch a lot of balls, this is Randall Cobb talking about young guys need to realize that they're not just running their route. They're part of a bigger offense. Yeah, it's, it's a lot bigger than just your one-on-one matchup. It's understanding the full picture, understanding uh, what we're trying to accomplish on any given play, and being very detailed and understanding um, with the covers that you're trying to beat. And um, timing. Timing is a huge part of our offense and what we do. And knowing where you're at in the progression, uh, whether you're a first read or the last read, and getting open at the right time. You're part of something bigger, which I think is difficult to realize when you're really young, when you're joining a team or when you're joining a business or a company, right? You, you want to, you want to think it's all about you. If I do my job, amazing. That's all that matters. And doing your job very well is I think 90% of succeeding. You got to realize that you exist in a larger ecosystem and what you do affects other things. And you need to be able to interact with other people. I think a misconception that I maybe had early on in my job is if I come in, do my job well, get everything done. It doesn't really matter. I don't need to really have a relationship with coworkers. I don't really need to do this or that. And that stuff definitely matters. Now, my job, your job, different than professional sports. But I think the point remains with Randall Cobb. It's about more than you. And that's probably tough to realize when you're 21, 22, 23 years old. I guess Alan Lazard spoke as well. Randall Cobb talked about the message that himself and Al Lazard brought to the young wide receivers. It's just, it's basically just um, going off of what Aaron said, just continuing that communication 
And like I said, a lot of the things is things that we've talked about in the receiver room. But it's like a parent. You hear one thing from your parent, but you hear one thing from your friend. You you might do what your friend tells you. I'll say I've been saying the same thing that he said in the meeting today. So it's it's just um, you know making sure they understand the opportunity that they have and not letting it squander away. Making sure that they're focused on the little details and everything that we do and seeing the full picture. It's not always about your route and what you have. It's how you fit into the play concept and being in the right place at the right time. Do you think the young players appreciate that tough love rather than silence? You know, and that means the guy doesn't care and Rogers cares. It doesn't matter if uh, they appreciate it or not. This is the way that we do things here. So it's either you get with it or you get out the room and we'll find somebody else that's going to get on board at what we're trying to accomplish. That's a good point. <laughs> I didn't expect that to be his answer, but that's a good point. You think the young guys appreciate it? Well, look, um, it's the NFL. There's only 32 teams, and this is the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Uh, so if they don't appreciate it, I guess that's on them. And we can find somebody else. Finally, Randall Cobb talking about a sense of urgency. What do you mean? There's only one goal. There's only one goal, and that's that's to bring a championship back here. And we're going to need those guys. They're, they're going to be uh, uh, they're going to play a huge role in what we're trying to accomplish this season. And we have to make sure that they're up to speed. And um, you know, I think at this point, the, the comments that he made yesterday was just about the urgency. There has to be an urgency in uh, what you're doing and 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 getting up to speed. Uh, to get to where we're trying to go. I know it's rookie wide receivers and they're inconsistent. They take time to develop, but got to microwave this process somehow, right? You got to get as much out of these guys as you can in their rookie year. Cause we're trying to win right now this year, trying to contend, trying to compete with Aaron Rodgers while he's still a member of the Packers. And before he retires, which I feel like could be anytime who knows with this guy, he is a complicated fella. As Mark Murphy once very correctly said, let's take a break. We'll get Mike Clements on the horn. Talk more Packers coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm here, and uh, Jason Tony's been required in the league, and um, I said to him, "Is that make them request me?" He said he would look like a fool if he did that. So, because um, of my love and affection for Jason Wallers, I, uh, I'm here to take any questions you may have for a very brief time. Why did you want to come here? It's just not my role right now. It's time of the year. Getting ready to try to play another preseason game. Wisco Sports Show, that's Rich Bisaccia, the Packers special teams coordinator. Didn't really want to meet with the media today. Didn't really want to do it. Uh, and I guess Mike Clements is here. And Mike, you cover the Packers, so I don't mean to be insensitive to what you do because it's your job to talk to these guys. But I guess Rich Bisacci is technically not wrong. He probably doesn't feel like he has anything that important to say to the media. Yeah, I, I, it was different. You no. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's been scheduled for like two or three days. Hey, you know, Bisacci will be in the media auditorium at noon. It's the first chance we've really had a chance to talk to him so far during this training camp. He comes and says, I really want to talk to you guys. I mean, he, he sounded he was, very he's genuine. He's kidding around. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, that's, it wasn't joking. Oh, my I, God. Yeah, yeah. You like the honesty. You like the honesty. Well, did you notice? And so like, I, I, I listened to this podcast the other day. So Barstool has part of my take uh, with Big Cat and PFT, and they got him for, I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes or whatever. So did they pay him to do that? How did that work? Because I can't imagine he wanted to do a stupid podcast, and he did that the other day. No idea. No idea? No idea. Okay. Well, I had to ask. Yeah. 
That's funny. <laughs> I don't really want to talk to you guys. That's a great way to start a presser. I'm sure that gets you excited to, to raise your hand and ask a question. Oh, my God. Right. Oh, geez. So, you know, to get to know this guy, he's 62 now. He's mm-hmm. been doing this a long time. He's born in Yonkers. Uh, he plays high school football in Connecticut. He gets an opportunity to go to, go to Wayne State and serve as a defensive back coach and play some special teams. You know, he's a short guy. I mean, he's maybe 5'9 or so. And then he, he gets jobs with South Carolina uh, and Clemson. He's at Clemson at Old Miss a little bit before uh, Gruden hires him. And then they go get a, a Super Bowl win in the early 2000s with the Buccaneers. Some time with the Chargers, assistant head coach for the Cowboys. And then, you know, back with the Raiders when Gruden gets that 10-year deal. And then he ends up being the interim uh, head coach out there. So he's he's got this ranking in the NFL all these years in the NFL about you know being one of the best special teams coordinators in the league. And so you know those of us that aren't used to good special teams in Green Bay, it's we, we asked them today. So is this about your scheme, or is this about being really you know getting players into the fundamentals, or just being a motivator? You know how how's your special teams program work? I think it all fits. I think if you go back to my days at Clemson in 95, we're, we're doing the same thing. So and we're calling it the same thing, and we're, you know, guys that I had in 2002 could walk in today and call our pump protection and call our punt returns. And now the system's expanded a little bit, but the, the base system um, has been in place for a long time. The fundamentals, the body position, where your eyes go, where your hands go, what it should look like um, has been in place for a long time. So in this league, you can't go visit other teams. So when you watch tape, you're kind of stealing things that are good and try to get better um, and putting your own maybe spin to it, right? Um, and we didn't invent the chicken. We just try to make it taste better. But the system has been the system. And when you have good players, the system looks really good. When you don't have as good of players, the system doesn't look as good. So, that, you know, talent matters. Interesting. Okay, so he's emphasizing the importance of good players on special teams. Mike, I guess I'll ask you this. I was watching some highlights from last year, that Bears game last week, and all of these mistakes that they made. And I, I don't know if they were so bad because the players were bad, I think at that point in the season, they were so in their head that they were just doing these unexplainable, dumb things. And as much as Rich Bisaccia's scheme is better and hopefully their approach to putting the right guys out there is better, I just think this unit needed a mental flush. They needed a new voice. They needed something brand new. And it sounds like hopefully Rich Bisaccia is bringing that along with the scheme and the fundamentals and everything, right? Yeah, you know, when Mo Drayton took over, uh, last year for his one year as this coordinator after being an assistant, we thought that he might be a better motivator uh, and a be- just making better connections yeah. with the, the players. And yet, you know, when I see in these games, it's, it's, it's chaotic in these games. And then you've got to put a special teams out there. You've got to put a bunch of guys together that have not, you know, been on the field for, you know, 15 plays. Who knows? And, and then they got to be out there and they got to be perfect. And you're going to you know, throw the ball 50 yards downfield with a punt or a kick or whatever. And I, I, did, I saw Drayton lost at times when they were making those transitions and platooning people mm-hmm. out there. And I thought one thing that Basaccia said today that showed the veteran thing is he said, I, he says, I pay attention if there's some guy who's playing backup corner and he just was out on the field for a 15-play drive. I don't want him on on my kick return team. Interesting. He's gassed. Wow. And so 
I, I'm already working on who's going to be and, you know, kick return, depending on what happens, if we either we get the ball back or, or they score. Um, and that guy's not going to play for me. I want a guy that's fresh. So that's the thing that you're looking for is what's going on in-game uh, before you put those different, you know, pundits. But I thought that was interesting. And he said, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing fancy with what I do. I spend a lot of time on fundamentals yeah. and being a Simon sure, and everybody focused on what the assignment is. But I can call punt return, kick return. If you played for me 15 years ago, it's the same stuff. That's really interesting. So I guess another question maybe that you can speak to, or maybe you can't, like, what is the special teams corner typically doing during the game? Like, defensive, offensive guys, they're calling plays, they're running personnel. Special teams is such a small fraction of the plays. So, Rich Bisacci, you said, paying attention to who's on the field. Is that a lot of what a special teams coordinator is? They're observing, they're getting a feel for the game and, and trying to use what they feel and see to make decisions on one specific punt opportunity or something? That's really interesting. I've never thought of what a special teams coordinator is doing for the majority of the game. Yeah, and, when, and I was thinking of that. Um, I asked him more about the substitution, substitution thing cause, yeah. since he brought it up. But when he when he when we get a chance to be you know more one on one with him, that's when I want to find out. Or I'll only try and spend more time observing with the binoculars how he's doing <laughs> things differently than what I've seen in the past. Because I mean, the, one of the biggest goof ups I ever saw is Ron's look. I mean, my God, this guy was a head coach at Illinois, yeah, and one. we're out there in L.A. at the Coliseum, and okay, so the Rams scored, but the, you know, hey, if Aaron Rodgers gets the ball back, he'll drive down and and win. And Ty Montgomery decides to take the ball out rather than give Aaron Rodgers the ball first and ten at the twenty, mm-hmm. and he not only did he get nailed, you know, short just out of the end zone, but he ends up fumbling. And the Rams take the ball and they clock the game. Rodgers never gets a touch, and they lose to Sean McVay and the Rams. That ended up being, you know, Mike McCarthy's last year. Yeah. And Zook said, well, he should have known. We've got a system. If it's, if it's under two minutes, then we're just going to kneel down so that Aaron Rodgers gets the ball. Well, he didn't go to Ty Montgomery and say, reminder now, yeah. <laughs> kneel down. Yeah. It's simple. I mean, it's a people business. And Ron Zook did not do that. He just stood there saying, Oh, okay, we're all set. Yeah, kick returns out there. One, two, three, four, eleven. Yeah, okay, go ahead, guys. <laughs> you you to need town. to make these guys more accountable and treat them like Pop Warner in a clutch situation like that, not to freelance. Wow. You can't assume that everybody else knows what you know, and you can't assume that everyone else is thinking about what you're thinking about all the time, right? It, exactly. it, it doesn't take exactly. any extra effort or time, really, to just remind, hey, remember, time, situation, just before they run out on the field, just reiterating things. Mike, you, you probably get this with people you work with or – or, or when you come on our shows, you're probably just little reminders all the time. Remember, tonight, 5.30, Grant, I'm coming on. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, it doesn't hurt to, to give people words of affirmation and reminders all the time. And it seems like that was maybe lacking the last few years, especially on special teams. So, and then the guys on defense, they talk about how much they, they love Joe Barry. And, you know, because of the effort he's putting in, the communication, uh, you know, putting systems in that, that are complex for the opposing offense, but ones that you know the guys on defense understand. So you know, so far he gets pretty high marks for this. I mean, guys, they never talked about playing for Mike Pettin. They occasionally called him Pet. That was about it. But um, these guys do play for Joe Barry. They call him, you know, Joe B, Coach B, that kind of thing. And you know, they they talk about how much they like working for this guy and his enthusiasm. And frankly, you know, how he encourages them or loves them up as, as a head coach. So 
they've got this, you know, experienced now defensive front. I mean, Kenny Clark going into his seventh year, Rashawn Gary going into his fourth and looking great. You got Jair, you got Rasul, you got Eric Stokes looking great in his second year, and then you know it, you've got experience back there in the back end. But there's still question marks like who's going to back up, who's going to be the number three pass rusher. Now, one guy that's coming on in camp right now is a rookie, Kingsley Enigbari. Uh, his, they call him J.J. When I was looking at some tape of him from college the other night out of the South Carolina, even the announcers call him J.J. Enigbari. Yeah. He's big. I talked to him the other day at his locker, 6'4", 258, and now he's been flashing. He's been getting like two or three sacks per practice in the 11-on-11. So we asked Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator this afternoon, you know, do you know who your backup outside linebacker or defensive backs are yet? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I, I think the the exciting thing is, and and we still don't know. You know, we're we're still a week and a half away to see what our you know what our final roster is going to look like. But you know, just to mention the guys, you know, that we've already talked about. You know, we got two really good edge rushers. You know, we got four really good inside players. You know, we have three really good corners. We got two really good safeties. We got two really good inside backers. It will be exciting to see, you know, what the what the remaining part of the roster is going to be. But, you know, I think when you got really good players that are great guys that have the number one common goal of they don't care who gets the success, they just want to win. That's the thing that I'm most proud of with this group is that they work and they grind and they compete every single day. And at the end of the day, all they want to do is win. That, that combination, Mike, is... It's interesting that everyone wants to win because this team is such an interesting mix and combination. I'm tripping over my words here, but I'm thinking about this Packers roster. You have guys at the top, Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, who've been there forever, right? And there's fewer aging veterans on this team. There's not a single player on this defense over 30, but it feels like Kenny Clark's been there a while. Jair's been there a while. So there are the the old veterans, and then there are the guys who are just coming in. We're, we're so excited about the, the wide receiver rookies and the obviously the two rookies on the defensive in the defensive line and then the linebacker Quay Walker it's really good to know that there's a lot of young guys who are just starting their career and yet the unit as a whole is still focused on winning well on Joe Barry's defense you had two big losses Zadaria Smith goes to the Vikings and they decided to move on from Kevin King so suddenly those are two experienced people that are you know affecting your depth and these uh, second year players uh, some of the rookies that you've drafted, you know, haven't haven't really stepped up. And then you get on the other side of the ball, and the thing that made, I don't know, I don't understand the national people ripping on Rodgers, you know, like he's, pardon the expression, you know, just bitching about the young receivers. Yeah, again. that was The guy watched the 49ers game. Then they had, you know, the first practice against the Saints, and he didn't just start, you know, going on a rant. You know, we asked him directly, you know, how do you think these receivers are doing so far? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, to me, drops, like if, you, if, you, if you're still dropping the football, you're not going to get in the game. And we need, you guys are behind schedule. You need to step it up. And then he met with the guys, you know, after it was on the national, national sports news. Yeah. So we asked the offensive coordinator, who, by the way, is now stepping into that role better, coming from sort of behind the scenes as offensive line coach. Adam Stenovich was asked this afternoon, how do you think, the rookie receivers have reacted since Aaron Rodgers kind of called them out this week. They've done a great job. There's no flinch with those guys. They take the information, and you can just see it every day, you know, making new mistakes, not the same mistakes. That's kind of what you want them to do. 
because um, again, it's gonna there's there's a lot of mistakes to make. You know what I mean? So um, let's just try not to repeat the same one. So I think they've they've handled themselves well. I've talked about this so much this week, Mike. You asked Rogers about practice and how it's going, and he explained it. He's like, "Well, too much of this, not enough of this, but the energy is good." Right. And moving forward, I hope we can be better. I thought it was really reasonable. And I loved the the huge reaction from the national media and from fans around because I'm old enough to remember what he said in 2018 when he said that everything was piss poor and he was actually upset. Like that's Rogers calling out wide mm-hmm. receivers. This is different. And right. these guys seem like they're responding well from everything I've read. And I'm sure you've kind of got got that sense in camp as well. Well, what he was upset that the uh, the franchise moved on too soon on Jordy Nelson and didn't have somebody at the ready for that. Yeah. Then on offensive line, you know, I told you about going into the first week of camp, I started looking around saying, man, without Bakhtiari and Alton Jenkins standing on the sidelines, this is a really young group. I mean, like I added up, like, you know, the, the sum total of starts with the guys that they've got right now on the offensive line was like 60 games, whereas if it was on, you know, if it was this was a year ago, they had like 350 starts from the five guys. You know, it's a huge drop-off. So well, we asked Stenovich about one guy who, who he's been working a lot, kind of the Lucas Patrick role where he could play guard, he could play center, and that's Jake Hansen who's now in his third year. How is Jake Hansen looking in camp so far? Yeah, Jake is – Jake on the offensively has had one of the best camps of anyone on our offense just from taking that next step. His first year, his hip was banged up. He just didn't look, didn't look right. He got his hip fixed, and then has come back, and he looks like a brand new guy. So he's playing with physicality. He's intelligent. He has the ability to play center, and I'm excited about him. So Adam Stenovich talking about one of his linemen. We're talking with Mike Clemens. Mike, do you notice any differences with Adam Stenovich this year? He's been so good and as you said, kind of a behind-the-scenes role, coaching up that offensive line and, and really doing such a good job with that unit. Now he's the offensive coordinator. Do you notice any differences or similarities versus how he is and what he's doing this year versus the previous couple of seasons? Well, he's got big shoes to fill because Nathaniel Hackett um, never wanted to get in front of Matt LaFleur. Didn't, didn't want to get ahead of him. But you could tell that Matt that Nathaniel was very bright. Aaron Rodgers said, hey, you know, you guys can't believe how good this guy is in the meetings, yeah. the presentations, the fun that we have in there with the Austin Power stuff, Absolutely. the gold zone, all that. But then in December, Hackett, he had a press conference where he said, oh, this is the resume press conference. He knows that he's, <laughs> he's, he's on the block as a possible head coach candidate, and he's showing teams this is the way I actually talk yeah. as a head coach. And he got the job. Stenovich is growing into it, and I was impressed by some of the things he had to say today like this. This is a point-blank question. Like, and Jordan Love, okay, he had the three picks. You know, he's done some good things yesterday in practice, a 50-yard bomb down the right sideline. Uh, what are you looking for Jordan Love tomorrow night against the Saints? Um, at the beginning of the game last week, he missed some easy throws. So I'd like to see him just right from the start come out hot and just uh, make, those, make the simple throws, and then we'll move from there. But, yeah, I thought he did a great job last week commanding the offense. We didn't have any, like, pre-snap penalties or any misalignments, really. Um, so I thought it was pretty smooth from that aspect. So now it's just just go out there, let it rip. You want to see the fundamentals. You want to see him kind of doing the right things and understanding the offense. And what I've realized in listening to players and coaches, and you're a big help with that, Mike, 
These guys don't really care about the stats as much. They're looking at what's going on in the game rather than what the box score or the results say, which the box score for Jordan Love on last Friday's game was not great. Well, and Grant, what I liked about that is that we're wondering what are these coaches telling a guy like Jordan Love? How is yeah. he being graded? And, and when they tell you, yeah, those first few throws you missed, those are easy throws. So we, marked, you know, we graded him down on that. That's what you, you want. You want to hear that there's that kind of accountability. So, you know, here we are, the uh, 18th of August, and in less than a month you're going to play the Vikings, and you've got an awful lot of offensive experience and talent over there in Robert Tunyon, your best catching tight end. they got eight tight ends on the roster right now. Why? Because they're scared they don't have anybody else who can catch the football except for Mercedes and Robert Tunyon. Or Elton Jenkins would be your right tackle. You know, are guys like this going to be 100% ready to play by the time you play the Vikings? And we talked to the, the guy who makes that decision, the general manager, Brian Gutekinst. Yeah, our process for return to play is pretty pretty similar for all of them, but that doesn't mean they're on the same timeline. You know, so um, as we go through, I think this is going to be this next week heading into Kansas City is going to, you know, a practice is going to be really important for those guys. Um, but with the bye week and stuff, we do, we do have a pretty good set of time before we get there. So, you know, we, uh, we certainly want them back. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's on us as an organization to make sure we protect them because it's a long season. And uh, I'd certainly rather have them back, you know, for the whole season than just a few early games. I'm feeling pretty good about Tunyon. Bakhtiari, we'll see. But Elton Jenkins certainly seems to be coming along well as well, Mike. I appreciate all the audio and the insight and everything you're getting at practice, Mike. I always look forward to talking to you. Um, we got a preseason game tomorrow night, and then we'll chat early next week about how camp is progressing and what else is going on. Maybe we'll have another Wild Rogers story. Who knows? We probably will. Probably. probably Ho- will. Hopefully it's of the uh, the Nicolas Cage bust in the locker variety and not something with the wide receivers. That would be ideal. Oh, you know who sent that to him? Was it A.J. Hawk? Who sent that to him? Laura Hawk. A.J. Hawk's wife, oh. the sister of uh, Brady Quinn. You know, Laura sent that to him. It's, and it, it's what I said. I, you know, I, I, after we saw it, he said, I don't know what this is. It just came in a box. There's no card or anything. So I went and Googled it after they closed the locker room. I thought, well, this, this, this thing I found, it's supposed to be a headphone holder. Like, you know, there used to be guys used to have Bach. Yeah. They would have a bust of Bach on their piano. Uh, yeah, that that's what it is. It's it's a kind of a it's a ninety seven dollar holder for your headphones. Damn. Well, now I'm going to see where I can get one of these online, Mike. I appreciate you. By the end of the season, maybe uh, me and my listeners we will decide and we will send you a bust to keep your headphones. We'll just have to decide who. So yeah, that's o- that's okay. That's okay. But I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Mike, for the time. I'll yeah. talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Yeah, that's Mike Clemens in Green Bay. Okay, so no bust for Mike. Note taken. Uh, Let's take a three-minute break. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Uh, we're going to do a new thing when Mike Clemens comes on, because always what happens is we talk to Mike and then we have like a minute and a half left in the show, which is exactly what we have. I'm going to try to make a point every time we talk to Mike to circle and highlight one thing that I found most interesting, right? I think that's a good exercise. The one thing that I found the most fascinating is Rich Basaccia paying attention to who's on defense for a long drive. I don't want those guys running a kickoff unit. If a guy was just on the field for 15 plays, he's tired. I don't want him coming out to play on special teams. That's awesome. I, I heard that. And I'm like, oh, so a guy who pays attention to the 
little dirty details. That's cool. That's something I can actually wrap my mind around with a special teams coordinator. That's cool. That gave me hope. So that was my one thing that jumped out to be about what Mike Clemens shared with us today. We're going to start doing a, a one thing. Everybody's got to pick one every time we talk to Mike Clemens. No Brewers tonight. So we got tomorrow to look forward to. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4 p.m. More Brewers, more Packers. Can't wait.